0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Nittany Lions Sports Report. It's live here on Bob Long Sports. Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse alongside. So excited for what should be a great week of Penn State football. The beginning of that three-game slog that we've thought about from the beginning of the season on the road at Iowa and then home against Michigan and then, of course, Michigan State. We do know that the first two of those games will be night games as it was announced at ABC We'll cover Penn State against Michigan, so that should be a great one. But a lot to talk about with relation to Iowa this weekend here, Tyler. And to do so, we're going to talk to Steve Batterson of the Quad City Times. He's been on each of the last few years, always gives great insight on the Hawkeyes, and excited to hear what he has to say. But first, we do have to talk about what came to light through Twitter this week in a letter that was penned to Jonathan Sutherland by a so-called Penn State fan, Um, and uh, it was, you know, in a word, um, despicable. Some of the words he was using about the dreadlocks that Jonathan Sutherland has and has had for some time, and uh, it it harkens back to a day that we don't want to harken back to from a perspective of of different things related to race relations, et cetera, Uh, James Franklin, to his credit, as well as Jonathan Sutherland, both put out tremendous statements, hoping to put this one to bed but also bring to light some of the issues that still need to be addressed in today's society, in today's day and age.
1: Yeah, uh, first and foremost, um, you know, that letter, um, it was obviously not necessary by any means, and it's a shame that people – are um, out there in the world like that still that feel the need to call out a player because he has dreadlocks. Um you know not to mention uh James Franklin mentioned that he was he's a Dean's List student, he's a red shirt sophomore co-captain. You know, he does everything the right way on the field, off the field. Um so you know, obviously it's just a guy that's stuck in his ways um and and is unhappy that Penn State uh now allows players ever since uh James er, Joe Paterno, um was let go as head coach um, about geez, nine years ago, eight years ago or so now, um, they're allowed to have whatever kind of hairstyle they want. And that's part of this day and age. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, necessarily define somebody, but it is part of their story and, and that's his hairstyle. And there's other guys on a team with, with, um, shorter dreadlocks that aren't as noticeable coming out from under the helmet, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because, um, it's not about what you look like on the outside or anything like that. It's all about the inside and and Jonathan Sutherland, you know, uh resembles a Penn State football player. What it what it means on and off the field. And he continues to do that and I think that that James Franklin did a great job of addressing the media on Tuesday and um as well as Jonathan Sutherland releasing a tweet um about the situation. I think they handled it very well and you know, I th- I think something like this oftentimes brings the group, the team even closer. Um, And and they tend to have each other. It's good to see that they have each other's back and, and it's like a rallying cry almost.
0: Absolutely. So that is something that they will take into the game at Iowa. Certainly hope that that's not a distraction, you know, in that respect. But I think that this is a team that has been very well committed to the task and has blocked out the noise. This a little bit different, but something that I, I hope can be a rallying cry and a positive perspective. I know that, they talk about team, family, etc., cetera, and, uh, and no more emblematic than this week. So we wish them the best. We congratulate James Franklin, Jonathan Sutherland, on the way they handled it. Of course, just Sutherland's career as a whole has been nothing but a bright spot in terms of the way he's conducted himself. And uh, that, in particular, fan is not a representation of what goes on inside that locker
1: Well, room. I think that's important you say that because um – it this isn't just Penn State where this kind of thing happens. It's it's actually happens across, um, you know, across the country, especially in the South. A couple of years ago, Kevin Sumlin had um nasty letters sent to him about his coaching at A and M and involving his race. And and really, there's just no need for it. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's a sport, and and really, at the end of the day, there's no need to have have racism. Um, in the world especially involved when you're targeting college players or coaches because you don't like something it's just it's it's not necessarily not necessary and hope hopefully you know people can learn from this and 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 society can and can grow because um you know there there's there's a lot to learn from it and let's hope it doesn't happen again because it definitely doesn't defy you know Penn State fans and
0: alumni it's just uh, it seems like it's one knucklehead um that decided to write that letter It is time, though, now to invite our guest onto the air, and his name is Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. He has been a great guest of ours for the last few years here and excited that he could make it on prior to this game. And, and Tyler, if I think correctly, it it might be the last uh, game for at least a few years here between these teams. So excited to have him back on here tonight. Steve Batterson, how are you, my friend? Steve, are you there? Here. See if we can get Steve back on the Maybe get a
1: commercial and call
0: him back? Eh, no. Nah, <laughs> you 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 can uh, fill some time, can't uh, you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but listen, I I I think this game here that Penn State's about to play against Iowa is one of those games that can define the season in a very positive way. Um, certainly it's the beginning of a road towards getting through Michigan and Michigan State after the fact. I think Penn State is well positioned in each one of those games in a way that I don't know that we necessarily thought coming into the season.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of funny you say that because obviously um, as fans, we tend to look ahead on the schedule, whereas a team cannot um, or, or is not supposed to. Um, but at the beginning of the year, I know you know anytime you're going into Iowa at night, especially Kinnick Stadium – it's It's not one of the easiest places to play by any stretch, uh, so at the beginning of the year, it was almost people were kind of chalking it up as an L, um, but I think it's changed a little bit. I was a very good football team. They didn't look their best last week against Michigan, but we'll get into that right now, and I believe you you have Steve on the other line. Yes, yeah,
0: right. Steve, are you, are you on the line with us here? I'm here. All
1: right,
2: good evening.
0: Hey, I'm really sorry about uh, technical difficulties the first time around, but thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it
2: yeah, no no problem, my pleasure.
0: So, Steve, we've done this, we've been fortunate to have you uh, a few years in a row now, and it just seems like every time we have you on, Penn State and Iowa plays an absolute classic, an absolute thriller that comes down to the wire. So is there any reason to think that this year won't be exactly the same thing?
2: No, absolutely not. These these are two teams that uh, seem to have a knack for finding a way to play close games. They're, they're built the same way in in a lot of ways, It uh, all uh, you know, starts up front, and uh I was, you know, modus operandi a lot is is, is to kind of keep games close and and uh, try to find a way in the fourth quarter to, to have a chance to win. And, and certainly the last two games have come down to the last play. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that uh, to expect anything otherwise would, would be disappointing, wouldn't it?
0: <laughs> I think so. So the question I need to start with is, Iowa comes off a very tough loss against a pretty darn good defense in Michigan led by Don Brown. And when you take Penn state and this defensive front that they bring into Kinnick stadium, uh, are there any lessons that Nate Stanley may have learned against another talented front in Michigan that he's going to look to put into play this weekend?
2: Well, there certainly better be, uh, <laughs> because last Saturday was an awfully long day from Nate Stanley, but, uh, um, you know, Iowa's offensive line had, had held up pretty well. Uh, they've had some injuries up front. Uh, they started the season with uh, uh, without two starters, uh, one of which came back last week, one of which has been back a couple of weeks now. But uh, uh, it, it's uh, it had been a fairly you know cohesive unit, and uh, all of a sudden uh, uh, there were some holes that popped up uh, created by Michigan. Uh, you know, I thought Michigan did a terrific job of, of kind of you know, disguising the blitz a little bit, linebackers are lining up a little on the on the late side, and and uh, you know, really getting after it. And uh, Stanley, uh, you know, one of the things that that he's got to be a little more cognizant of, he's got to get rid of the ball a little quicker. And you know, those are some of the things they're working on this week. So it, it's uh, it's a collective thing, and uh, you know, a little better blocking from some of their skill guys, that kind of thing as well. Uh, stuff that hadn't been a problem and Michigan exposed it and so the blueprint is out there now they know they're certainly going to see it from Penn State because that's kind of what they do as well um, and so they're they're looking at this game not unlike Michigan looked at, at the Iowa game uh, it, it's a quick chance uh, for a measuring stick uh, Michigan was trying to kind of right it shift following what happened to the Wolverines at Wisconsin a couple of weeks back and and uh, they saw Iowa as kind of being, a, a you know, a, a mirror image of, of Badgers. And, and uh, you know, this week, uh, Iowa certainly uh, has a ton of respect for Penn State. But a lot of it uh, has to do right now with the fact they see a lot of Michigan in Penn State in terms of the way that they kind of attack things and, and the aggression on defense. And, you know, certainly a, a ton of respect for the, for the numbers, the sack numbers and the, and the TFLs that, that the Indy Lions are putting up, and uh, it's going to be another challenge. And I think it's probably going to be another pretty low-scoring game at Kinnick.
0: One of the things that Iowa has been so talented at, and difficult for other teams to defend in recent years, has been the tight end position. Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, both now have moved on to the NFL. Uh, this year, of all the touchdowns scored, not one has been. By a tight end, Brandon Smith, one of the top receivers for Iowa, also a pretty deep wide receiver core compared to perhaps what we've seen in other years. How has Nate Stanley, Kirk Ferentz, and the offensive coaching staff adjusted to this change in personnel this year versus last?
2: I think the one thing that Iowa has this year, they have have some receivers who've been around, whether it be Amir Smith-Marset, a Jersey kid, or, uh, or Brandon Smith, uh, a kid out of Mississippi, both of those guys are juniors. They're in their third year now of, of being in the offense. They had a couple of redshirt freshmen who, who kind of come in as well. Both of them took advantage of the rule change a year ago, played in three or four games. Uh, Tyron Tracy uh, and, and Nico Reganey are, are two guys that uh, have added a lot to, to Iowa's past game. And and they've got a freshman uh, running back who last weekend showed that he has a little ability too to catch the ball. And a kid by the name of Tyler Goodson out of the Atlanta area that uh, uh, is seeing some carries. And, and right now is listed as their number three tailback, but he's certainly a capable receiver. And you know I think Stanley has adjusted well to to kind of this this bit of a change in the offense. The the starting tight end is a fifth year senior kid by the by the name of Nate Whiting. He's been around for. For, you know five years now had a had a couple of surgeries um and he's one of those guys that's just kind of been there and and uh you know was an understudy a year ago to two pretty productive players and waited his turn and and he's more of a blocker uh that's always been his strength he is capable as a receiver he's he had a, a big catch in in the outback bowl against mississippi state uh and uh you know it's uh, it's a different look than maybe what i always had the last couple of years but you know i was always been one of those programs that, that tends to play to its strengths and uh, uh they've been flexible enough on offense They're going back to really kirk's arrival and you know and, and prior to that to to, to hayden fry's belief of, you know the old scratch where it is uh mantra that he used to serve up on a regular fairly regular basis and it uh, you know this year uh, Iowa has more receivers, more capable receivers, and and so the passing game has grown a little bit, and and it's been a work in progress, and I think that that's uh, it's been a it's been a productive change for Iowa, and something that uh, um, I I know that Brian Ferentz has waited a couple of years to have the personnel in place to 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 move the ball through the air the way that they they really probably would prefer to in some ways.
1: Uh, we're going to flip to the other side of the ball here. Um, on defense, I think the headliners for Iowa are—excuse um, me if I'm saying his name incorrectly—but AJ Epensia and um, defensive Ep- Ep- Epineza and um, and and safety actually from—he's uh, defensive lineman, a junior. He's uh, thought to be a top pick in this coming NFL draft if everything goes according to plan. And then. Um, safety actually from Western Pennsylvania, Geno Stone, seem to be the the, uh, the cornerstones of this defense, um, as, as well as the other uh, defensive end, I believe his name is Goldston. Um, so those those three are the headliners that I'm, I'm picking up on for Iowa's defense. Um, Iowa's defense playing very well this year. Um, wh- what do you think their attack, how are they going to stop Penn State's offense, what's their plan of attack? Obviously, two years ago, Saquon Barkley put on a show, uh, but Penn State – you know, struggled to win the game and, and ultimately won on the last play of the game. And obviously there's no more Saquon Barkley this year as there was not last year. So but Penn State still has a very good offense, very young. I was wondering, um, you know, what you think Iowa's plan of attack to, to stop, slow down that Penn State offense will be on Saturday.
2: You know, I, Iowa's defense uh, so far this season has been a fairly consistent look. They shifted a little bit last year to kind of a 4 5 look um, they, they've had a bunch of injuries in the secondary, uh, uh, the second and third and fourth week of the season, uh, for their top eight were, were, sidelined with injuries. They're getting some of those guys back now. Um, you know, so eventually I think we're going to see a little more four to five, which was anticipated going into the season. Uh, but they've been pretty much a four three team. Um, and, and, you know, I, that's where things will start. I, I, I think with, uh, it certainly was the approach that they used against Michigan last week. Uh, it's it's the way Iowa defends, and, and they will continue to, to rotate a lot of bodies up front. Um, Epinesa, who is who was a first-team All-Big Ten pick a year ago without starting a game, um, is finally starting. But he's also part of a rotation now, too. And, and so what they're kind of doing is, is giving it – you know, a defense a chance to keep some fresh legs on the field. I think that's a lesson that Iowa learned a few years ago. Uh, the game had changed to a point that uh, uh, the best way to to counter uh, some of the spread attacks that they were seeing was frankly to keep fresh bodies out there. And and uh, so they've gone with a seven or eight player rotation on their front four. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna attack you pretty straight up. And I mean that's just the the way that they approach defense and. You know the the ultimate objective is is to deny you in the red zone, which is it's an area where both Penn State and Iowa have been pretty effective offensively. Uh, but uh, you know defensively, both of those teams have obviously kept people out of the end zone too. So uh, you know that's it, it's something that's worked for Iowa. Uh, the statistics maybe don't reflect it, but Iowa has been. You know, continue to be fairly aggressive. Epinesa doesn't have a ton of sacks right now. Uh, he's got two on the season. He had a little over 10. I think it was 10.5 last year. Um, but he's impacting games in other ways. People have, <clears throat> have double and triple teamed him, uh, which has opened up some things for Golston on the other side. Uh, the other, uh, When they have taken him on one-on-one, he, he's been pretty effective at getting to the quarterback. It, even some of those uh, two-on-one situations, he's he's put himself in a position where he's he's impacted decisions, and uh, I think he has five quarterback hurries at this point. And so I mean he, he may not be closing in and getting the sack, and uh, you know, that, but that's uh, but he's still certainly influencing what's happening on the other side of the ball.
1: What do you think um, from a Penn State perspective? What is the Iowa weak spot, and and where Penn State could really take advantage of? of the Iowa defense. I mean, we know they're good, but every defense has, has their weak spot um, uh, or spot that's not of strength. So if you're Penn State, how are you looking to attack the Hawkeyes on Saturday?
2: Yeah, I think you certainly have to look to the air. Uh, pe- people have, have tried to, to move the ball on the ground against Iowa. And for the most part, it's, it's been a struggle. Uh, Michigan uh, had one drive last week of 61 yards. Uh they uh, ended up with uh, no more than, um, I think, the, the second longest one was 38 or 39 yards. Uh, they were able to score a field goal off of a, uh, a turnover um, inside the inside the 20. Uh, but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, moving the ball um, on the ground has been a challenge for, for opponents against Iowa this season. And, uh, you know, I, I would suspect that what you'll see is you'll see uh, – uh, you know, Penn State try to attack through the air, and and certainly they had the receiving talent to to be able to do that. So what are folks
0: saying about, and you're kind of discussing it a little bit, but about this Penn State team? I can tell you how the folks in State College are thinking about Iowa, a tough, gritty, hard-nosed team. They're not going to make it easy for Penn State uh, to move the football. The best team generally that Penn State's going to play, uh, at least to this point in the season, and arguably the toughest venue, period, that Penn State will play now or at any point. That's what folks feel about Iowa and State College. How do folks in Iowa City feel about Penn
2: State? Well, I can tell you that Kirk Ferentz yesterday told us that uh, that the Penn State offense is the best offense that Iowa has seen so far this season, and I would concur with that. I mean, it, it certainly uh, – Michigan is uh, – you know, it's a solid football team, uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. The offense has been a little sporadic to this point. Iowa State, kind of the same way early in the season when Iowa went to Ames, uh, you know, it was a situation there where, uh, you know, the Cyclones, I think, were were still trying to kind of get their legs uh, under them in terms of, of figuring out where their offense was going to come from. They were kind of rotating four or five backs at that point and. Uh, it's uh, you know I, I think that they uh, the Hawkeye see uh, Penn State is is being you know uh, an extremely physical um, team a, a challenge certainly from a defensive standpoint that uh, uh, that you know Iowa probably hasn't seen to, uh, to this point in the season as well and uh, given the the challenges that existed last week in moving the ball against Michigan. Uh, the turnovers and the penalties, both very uncharacteristic of, of, of uh, Iowa football teams. Uh, you know, I, I think that's where where things start. There, you know, there's a ton of uh, respect for the Penn State program in Iowa, and, and uh, you know, some of that comes from Kirk's roots uh, in, in Pennsylvania and and just the respect that he has had for that program for you know since, since he was a you know a kid growing up and watching the uh, Penn State play. Uh, it's uh you know it's been a good series and and i think that that's uh that's created some respect between between the two programs and i think it's also led to uh you know what we've seen play out the last couple of years uh, some very interesting football games and and uh, i think that that's uh you know that's uh, that's what you hope and, and a lot of times these crossover games um haven't you know there's not a lot of sexiness to them and 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 I think that uh, despite the fact that you've got a couple of, uh, of somewhat old school football programs in terms of, in terms of the way they approach things, um, you know this is uh, this is a, this is a good fall uh, you know a good fall battle between two uh, two pretty solid programs, and I think that that's uh, that's what Iowa people appreciate the most. They they appreciate the competitive spirit uh, and, and the way that uh, that both teams do it. I mean it's it's both done. You know, a fairly above-board way in terms of uh, games are fairly cleanly played and hard-fought, and And, uh, it's what you hope to see on a good Saturday.
0: Steve Batterson with us here from the Quad City Times telling us all about the Hawkeyes. Okay, so it's going to be cold out there. It looks like it's not even going to hit 50. Windy, too, I believe. Windy, uh, probably going to feel like it's in the 30s. Uh, Fall heading towards winter weather in Iowa City. How do you think that affects the outcome of the game? And I am going to ask you for a prediction if you're okay with giving it.
2: No, that's fine. I, um, yeah, it, we, we've moved from August weather to November. Uh, <laughs> at, least by, at least by Saturday we will. Uh, it was uh, mid-70s here today. But, yeah, the high on Saturday is predicted to be around 48 or 49 Ooh. with the uh, temperatures falling into the 30s uh, uh, during the evening and uh, the wind is is going to be fairly brisk so um, yeah it, it will have an impact it, it's going to be that first uh, real chill uh, and it's supposed to hit sometime on Friday around here with uh, a little rain prior to it but it'll be dry on Saturday night uh, it, it is going to be uh, you know it's going to be one of those uh, crisp nights uh, when the pads are meeting so uh, you know there's some excitement about that and, and I think people this is a game people have been looking forward to for a long time uh, it's a it's a sold-out game it's it's um, they call it their black and gold spirit game it'll be the stripe to look inside the stadium uh, from one section to the next uh, uh, the uh, 19 excuse me the 2008 team that that uh, 2009 team that uh, won the Orange Bowl is is holding a reunion uh, this weekend as well. So there'll be a lot of former players back. There'll be a ton of recruits in the house. This is uh, their biggest recruiting weekend of of the season, and uh, it's uh, you know it'll be a typical night atmosphere at Kenick Stadium, which. Uh, is something that they've they've uh, you know tried to build a, a time or two during the course of the season, and it, it'll be a special evening. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, much like the game we saw uh, a couple years ago uh, at Kinnick, and and I, I, this one, I, for whatever reason, I just think maybe this one is going to be decided by somebody's leg. Um, and and I've got uh, you know obviously you've got uh, an Iowa native. Uh, Kicking for the Nittany Lions, uh, so he, he should be used to this weather as well. It's uh, I, I've been to Inky a few times, and it's not any warmer there than it will be in <laughs> <laughs> Iowa on Saturday. Uh, but uh, um, you know, Keith Duncan is is a kid who, who beat Michigan at home. Seems to find a way to kind of rise to occasion. It was his leg that lifted Iowa past Iowa State a few weeks ago, and you know, I, I see this being probably a a seventeen sixteen type of game, and and. You know, I'm probably going to, at this point, probably go with the home team just because uh, I think maybe they're due. Uh, and and I think this will be Penn State's, as you alluded to, this will be Penn State's toughest road test to date. And, and uh, with the first-year quarterback as, as a starter, as, as terrific of a job as, as Clifford is doing, uh, at some point you're going to get tested away from home and, and uh I, I think they're going to find a, a pretty uh, a pretty irritated Iowa football team when they get here, given what transpired in, in Ann Arbor last weekend.
0: Well, i tell you, in 2016, it was an early November weekend when Iowa got beat badly on the road by Penn State, had people in Iowa City kind of questioning things. Then they host Michigan the next weekend and win on that aforementioned field goal, 14-13. to 13. This time around, it's a... Road test for Iowa against Michigan that has people reeling in Iowa City and kind of questioning things. And now they're going to host Penn State. So roles reversed, but perhaps a similar trajectory. Steve, we appreciate the thoughts and the commentary. You've been a great guest over all the years, and we hope uh, for the opportunity to talk to you again soon.
2: Hey, my, my pleasure. Anytime, guys.
0: All right. Enjoy that football game. Stay warm and, uh, and have a great rest of your evening here.
2: I'll have to find a coach,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's time. and It's not getting any warmer. Thanks again, Steve.
2: You bet. Take care.
0: See ya. There it is, Steve Batterson. Good to hear from Steve. Steve's always been a great guest of ours here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report, and I think a lot to think about. And I'm glad he, he actually gave that type of prediction because I was waiting to get that one out. I see some very similar corollaries between an Iowa team that – They didn't get blitzed the same way Penn State blitzed them in 2016, but same type of thing, on the road and just completely had nothing going for them offensively uh, in that particular game against Penn State. The defense had nothing going for them as well in 2016. Then they went and hosted a Michigan team that had dreams of the college football playoff, decimated those with a last-second field goal in a game that, if you remember watching that, I couldn't believe that that Iowa team beat Michigan. Could we have a similar situation with the roles reversed? Michigan hosting Iowa, and then the very next week after that embarrassment, it's Penn State coming out to Kinnick with dreams of the college football playoffs. Yeah,
1: I mean, you you make a good point of the role reversal, but really at the end of the day, none of these – not many of these players were involved or at least had, um, you know, meaningful playing time with those two teams – Keith Duncan the kicker for Iowa yeah he did yeah. Um, you know Stanley was a backup at the time to I believe C.J. Bethard yeah um, a blast from the past there so you know for Penn State really the only guy that was probably playing in that game was John Reed um, so he's been around for a long time too but yeah I mean it's you know you think back to all the games that Penn State has played at Iowa specifically at night um, the one game in Gee, I don't, maybe 2012, it was Bill O'Brien's first year, I believe. They went out there and handled Iowa um, by 20-some points, and it was a nice nice surprise because, you know, you just never know what you're going to get when you go out there. Uh, Daryl Clark's, um, one of the games, one of the years, he was a starter. Um, they lost on the last second field goal um, out there, and Penn State was ranked number three at the time with a chance uh, for national championship, Big Ten championship, all that. Um And and obviously the the freshest – I almost forget last year's game. I know Penn State won by six, and it came down to the wire. I think there was an interception at the goal line. Um, But I keep thinking back to the game two years ago at Kinnick. Um, Early in the season, um, you know, it was the first Big Ten game, so it was a little bit earlier Night game. I mean, that, that environment is really good. It's as good as it gets. It is. It's one of the top environments in college football, especially at night. They needed um,
0: 300 plus yards, 40 touches yeah, from Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I mean,
1: Saquon Barkley had more yards, I believe, on, by himself, and I could be wrong, but it was darn close to Iowa's total. Um, and, you know, like, that was the thing with that game. I got
0: Iowa 270 and Penn State over 500. Saquon yeah, total yards of, he had, over had And Penn three. State doubled
1: them almost, yep. you know, or. But um,
0: there were a lot of plays yeah, well, in that game that was, too. By the way, you know it was yeah, it was kind
1: of weird because Penn State went up five nothing. Yeah, and they had Sharif Miller safety. Um, Penn State was you know moving the ball in the towards the end of the half, the first half, and McSorley had a pass. Uh, you know the guy got to his arm and he threw it and it was picked off. I th- I think it was Josie Jewel, I'm not one hundred percent sure. A couple plays later, um, Stanley took a shot touchdown it was 7-5 at the half and Penn State was losing it was like how are they losing like it just was like how like yep. they outplayed them came down to really two plays right Iowa takes the lead essentially the second half was kind of more of the same thing Penn State struggled in the red zone um, Iowa was cashing in on their opportunities had a couple big plays for touchdowns but that was really the only time they moved the ball were these three big plays that ended up you know going for big gains and scores but that's that's the kind of thing that sticks out is Penn Penn State on on paper is a much more talented team I would say Iowa has probably the better offensive line at least at tackles or tackles are phenomenal um but but in the but skilled players I I don't know if Iowa can really compare with Penn State that's the one thing that Steve said that I didn't agree with was his opening statement they're very similar teams well I don't really think they are because their styles, especially on offense, are totally different. Iowa's ground and pound, you know, open up play action. We're he
0: might have been talking about Michigan being similar to Penn State from an opponent's perspective. Okay.
1: Well I, I thought he said but I you or know, maybe he said that as well, yeah, he, but he, I think he I, I think he did, but um, you know, Penn State has to find a way to get their athletes, you know, the ball. I yeah. mean like what they did two years ago with Saquon Barkley. I'm looking at K J Hamler. I mean, Nobody can compete with his, compared to him, with speed wise on on really any defense for the most part. They got to find a way to get him the ball. I'm looking hopefully close to ten times. I mean, I think that's the key. Now you don't always have to throw it to him, you know, runs, jet sweeps, etc. But you you have to get your athletes the ball in space against Iowa because look at what Saquon Barkley did two years ago. Not that there's nobody like him, but get the ball in space, play turnover free football. Score touchdowns, try not to hold the field goals, especially with the wind. You know what I mean? So they got to really capitalize in the red zone. And I think, um, you know, on paper, Penn State should win. Obviously, this game's not played on paper. It's a crazy game. But uh, I think they match up pretty well.
0: Yeah, I think they do as well. And you talk about K.J. Hamler. That's, I think he's going to have opportunities to get the ball downfield if the offensive line can protect Sean Clifford. And we've talked a lot about Clifford, about his improvement, From a footwork perspective, from a progressions perspective, you know, they ran pretty basic stuff against Purdue. And frankly, all disrespect to Purdue. A lot of his first read was open, especially in the first quarter. And things tightened up a little bit. Obviously, the ha- the second half was not good from an offensive perspective. But early on, they were just see the ball, fire. See the guy open, fire. First four possessions were all touchdowns. Bingo, yeah. right? And and a lot of it was just easy reads across the middle or to the outside. A little bit of zone coverage from Purdue or lackadaisical off man coverage and so it was pretty easy reach for Clifford I think this is really the weekend where we start to see one is the defense is the offensive line going to protect him enough and then two can he get through those multiple progressions can he run the offense in a hostile loud environment can they run hard counts and can they run silent counts things that they can do to get plays off and communicate without having to do it as verbally as they would otherwise have the opportunity to. Those are things I'm looking forward to seeing from Sean Clifford and the rest of the offense this weekend. And that's how they're going to get the ball to K.J. Hamler and Pat Fryermuth. We talk about Fryermuth who hasn't had a ton of targets since the Buffalo game. I've said this multiple times. There's so many targets out there, somebody's not going to get enough targets. If KJ gets a ton, Fryermy's not getting enough. But if Fryermuth gets a lot, all of a sudden, Justin Shorter's not getting enough at the X position. And then if Shorter's getting enough and Fryermy's getting enough and KJ Hamler, then, hey, how are they not getting the ball to all four running backs? We need to get the ball to everybody. I forgot about Dotson, Dotson's too. <laughs> the best, <laughs> yeah. Dotson's the best route runner, right? Yeah. Nick Bowers had a touchdown last week. Yeah. So I need to couch all that. I'm not going to be the guy every show that's saying, "Hey, this guy's not getting the ball enough," but, but I do think you need to take what the defense gives you. Fryermuth, Muth, a great red zone target. This is a big strike totally offense, agree. so you don't have a ton of those. Yeah. Sometimes it's a thirty yard pass Whoa. to score them. But Fryermuth, Muth, I think, is a guy who can be that safety valve, and they're going to need to keep getting looks for. I think it's a big weekend for him. Yeah,
1: and I and I, I targeted KJ Hamler is you know looking at ten targets just because. His speed kills, and I know I was vulnerable to to fast guys um, like his elite speed. Um, So you know, but at the end of the day, too, if he's only getting five touches, but other guys are doing that's great. You know what I mean? I think that if they, you're you're obviously they're gonna they're really gonna game plan um, to get him the ball because how electric he is. But at the same time, too, there's so many other guys that can that can step up and make plays for Penn State. It's not like he's the only the only game you know player they have. So. Um, it should be interesting. Also interested, again, obviously, to see what happens in the running back uh, rotation. I feel mm-hmm. like that's going to be a discussion every week. Um, you know, Noah Kane played very well against Purdue. Um, I expect to see him a lot again, but I expect to see all of them, right? As well. By
0: the way, and it's not something that we had even a question on, but it is official. Devin Ford redshirt is burned, as is Noah Kane's. But Noah Kane has been thought of, I think, as higher at this right. point. All four running backs have exercised their eligibility for the year. So it just will and be it, stated. And it makes
1: sense too when you get when you get these guys with this talent. The chances of them hanging around for a, a red shirt fifth year anyway. Yeah. You know they get hurt now. You could always red shirt them. Right. Um. It, it's a good. It's a good move. Um. Because all these guys bring something different to the table, and it's just uh, more weapons at the disposal of the offense.
0: So it's time to talk about the defense, and we've done a lot of good blitz segments about the offensive line about Sean Clifford the last two weeks, but I think. This weekend, we need to talk about this Penn State defensive line because they've earned it. They've been absolutely unbelievable, and it is as simple as Shaka Tony just getting upfield and being able to fend off an offensive lineman so well to some complex sets, some stunts, some different things that they're doing with the defensive tackles. And we're going to talk about all of that in our session of the Blitz Coming up next here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. And then our guest picker tonight is none other than the woman behind it all, Mara Long, my wife. Excited to have her on. The only thing I'm a little disappointed in is that we don't have a Notre Dame pick for her. I don't think we do. No, we do. Notre do Dame, we? Yeah, Notre Dame, USC. Ah, oh, see, we're giving it all yeah. away. Also, you can see how much work I did for my <laughs> picks. We'll get to all that later. We'll tell her story about, uh, well, a lot of things, but also, how the heck do you stay married to this guy? Well, it's
1: only been a year. Right. A little no, bit no. more than he. so there's still, you know, it's, it's still early, Bob.
0: I appreciate that Bob. confidence. <laughs> we'll be right back.
3: Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store.
1: Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dumpy Ford.
2: Nearly 40 years. Right here
1: on Frankford Avenue. Generation after generation. Our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access
3: to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dumpy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankford Avenue in Mayfair.
2: Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did.
0: Welcome back inside the Nittany Lions Sports Report. It's Bob Long here for this week's session of The Blitz, where we go to the whiteboard and we evaluate one aspect of Penn State football. We've done a lot on the offense. We've done the offensive line two weeks of Sean Clifford. It's time to talk about this defensive line, as you're going to see an offensive line in Iowa here who, granted, struggled against Michigan, but is a very talented offensive line. How is this defense for Penn State, led by this front four, going to be successful? Now, in the first segment, we talked to Steve Batterson of the Quad City Times, and he talked about how Michigan ran some different looks at Iowa and how that made life difficult. Well, let's talk about some of the complexities that Penn State can run and has run to allow this defensive line to be successful. Let's start with Shaka Tony here, and we're not going to get all too technical on this one. This is a guy, Tony who is just an upfield guy, getting north and south. He's taken on this offensive lineman, the left tackle, let's say, and he just has the speed to get upfield and beat this guy back here and allow him to get to the quarterback. He's great at getting upfield, taking a little swim, using the arm, hand-to-hand, compact action to get into the backfield. He's just unbelievable in that respect. So he, I think, is the most athletic and quickest pure rusher that Penn State has. Of course, Iter Grossmatos on the other side can do some of those same things, but he's the most versatile defensive lineman that these Nittany Lions have. So, yes, he can certainly beat his offensive tackle that he's going one-on-one against to the quarterback, and he'll do that many, many times. But he has a special skill set being a defensive end with extremely long arms and a great physique for this, but also that brawn to go along with that exceptional quickness. And he can slide at times into this type of position where he's going to go alongside Robert Windsor, and now you can bring a secondary guy like Jason Oway or Shane Simmons. We haven't seen a ton of him recently, but he's going to slide into a three-technique defensive lineman, draw this center and the guard, and all of a sudden that provides more holes over this way to get through this gap. Robert Windsor is now one-on-one. Gross Matos, tremendous from an ability perspective to get in the midst of a defensive line and play either three-technique defensive tackle or defensive end. But let's again put Yitra Gross Matos out here and we're going to put Antonio Shelton. This is kind of the base four down lineman look that Penn State's going to use more often than not. Well, there were a few times against Purdue where Shelton and Gross Matos and Windsor and Gros Matos would run little stunts, and in some ways, big old stunts. Shelton head after this tackle. Windsor go after the center and the guard, and Gros Matos would come all the way around here unimpeded to the quarterback and see you later, Jack Plummer. Now, that is contingent upon your ability to cover downfield, right? That takes a little bit of time. But if there's good coverage out here in the secondary from the Penn State cornerbacks and safeties, that's going to allow Gross to do that. And once he gets about here, you can kiss it goodbye. If you don't have somebody picking that guy up, there is no chance for that quarterback. Now, you don't have to run that complex of a stunt either. You can just have Windsor over here attack this guard, Tony this tackle, and then Shelton head this way and Gros Matos this way. That's a more conventional stunt where you're just replacing defensive tackle and Gros Matos at the defensive end position. And once again, as I mentioned, Gross Matos' ability to play the three technique and his knowledge of that position makes him a great co-conspirator here with uh, Antonio Shelton or Robert Windsor in that type of role. Tony can do it as well, but he's definitely more of that pin-the-ears-back, almost screw technique and get to the quarterback, though he does have great technique. He is a much better asset on a straight downhill, on-a-line basis with some of the complexities going on at the other side of the line. And I think that's something that Iowa, while they have brawn and size and the ability to block, that's something that can confuse an offensive line like Iowa, especially when you bring athleticism to this scheme. And that's something I want to see more of from Penn State. They did it very well against Purdue. They've done it from time to time over the course of the year. But this is the type of defensive front in this type of scheme where as these players get to work more and more with one another, as Tony plays more, Yitor Grosmato certainly, certainly played a lot. Windsor played a lot last year. Shelton getting a lot more time this year. This is becoming a very cohesive unit, but also one where you can bring guys in and out of that rotation. So the more snaps that each of these guys get together, the better it's going to be. P.J. Mustapher is going to be in that equation. Fred Hanser coming off that injury has played well also. And I think it's getting to the point – where the defensive coaches are trusting more and more of these combinations to throw some more complex sets and combine that with the athleticism as mentioned. It's going to make things more difficult for offensive lines going forward and I think has a chance to be a real strength of this Penn State defense. So that is the Blitz segment here for tonight. We'll come back with a little bit more discussion and the picks coming up here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Stay tuned.
3: Does it bounce back after each setback?
0: Does it stand out by standing up?
1: Does it make good on good intentions? Character is invisible
3: until it's not. Only through action will the world know what it's made of, what you're made of. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside
2: empowered veterans and families of the fallen at travismanion.org.
0: Now, welcome back inside the Nittany Lions Sports Report, live here on Bob Long Sports. We have Bob Long, Tyler Galhouse, and my lovely wife, Mar Long, as our guest picker here tonight. So excited that she is here, and I think, Tyler, she's in a prime position to take down Tyler Kern and Rob Stott, who sit at 5-1 and one right now.
1: She might be partially because she's married to you, but also <laughs> because she's a graduate of the University of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So this is a power couple in terms of not only academics but also football. So <laughs> I believe that Mara knows a lot about football. Um, we're going to find out. We're going to um, we're going to interview her a little bit. Um, for those of you that obviously now know but didn't know, this is Bob's wife, Mara. They got married last year. Um, and she's still with him, which is great because you know Bob Long Sports takes over a lot of time, and and it could put a strain on her relationship. But she's in it for the long run. I hope she knows that. I'm sure she signed off on that way long ago. But um, anyway, how did how did you guys how did you guys meet, Mara?
3: We met through work. I was looking for a new job and Bob was, um, and I was living in Cleveland at the time and, uh, Bob was, you know, trying to help me and he did not find me a job, (laughs) but it worked out in another way. So yeah, very happy with the outcome.
1: Very cool. Um, talk about, um, you're from the Altoona area, um, and you went to Notre Dame for college. Um, talk about what led you to Notre Dame and, um, and and it's a beautiful campus, but um, just talk about what took you from central Pennsylvania um, out to South Bend, Indiana.
3: Yeah, as you can imagine, being from central Pennsylvania, there's a big uh, pipeline to Penn State. So, a little surprising that I didn't go there. But um, you know, I was just exploring a bunch of different schools when I was in high school, and my parents were nice enough to cart me all over to see a bunch of different places, and actually a family friend of ours named Vince Frank, who, um, unfortunately has since passed. He, um, his son went to Notre Dame and he was my mom's boss. Um, and he was a big Notre Dame fan. And so he would take any excuse to Mm. go out and see the campus. So he and my parents took me out to see Notre Dame. Um, and I applied early and it was kind of, you know, I, I just loved it when I visited Mm. the people were great. Um, we even visited in a snowstorm, so I didn't oh, wow. know what I was getting into. But, you know, the campus was a very warm environment.
1: Right. It, it seems like a beautiful campus. The only time I've actually ever seen it was through Rudy, the movie. Obviously, everybody, <laughs> all football fans know Rudy. Um, it's
3: changed quite a bit since yeah, then. Yeah, I'm
1: sure it has. It looked beautiful on TV. Touchdown Jesus, all that good stuff. Um, <laughs> there's a picture over there. I'm the, what's that called again? The Grotto. The Grotto. Yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty cool. Um, but can you tell us one thing that our viewers might not know about Bob. Um it doesn't have to be embarrassing, nothing like that, but uh, maybe like a fun fact or, or something that, you know, we know that he does this, uh Bob Long Sports and mm-hmm. and just give us something else that the viewers or even myself might not know about Bob.
3: I have a great one for you. Okay, he let's hear it. is uh he really knows how to cut a rug and wow. at weddings in particular, he stands out in the crowd. Um for good or bad. Uh, <laughs> Open to interpretation, but <laughs> exciting and um, yeah. Actually, one of my friends' weddings, he was so noteworthy that they had a, a nickname for him, like Fast Fast Feet Bob or something <laughs> like that. So yeah, he's a really good dancer.
1: That's good to know. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, maybe he'll show, he'll show us some moves sometime on on uh, on air. But um, it's good to it's good to interview Mara and have her on on the uh, set tonight. Actually, um, she's actually a fill in, not. You're not a fill but you're a fill picker. Um, yes. I guess, uh, what's his name, Steve?
0: Steven Anderson, uh, Talamore assistant pro. And we are going to have Steven on at some point tell the story about what it's like to be an assistant pro, do a little bit of a background on Talamore. That's where we're members. But uh, he's also really working hard and going to school at night. And on this rainy evening in Philadelphia, apparently the trains were delayed by several hours uh, so, unless you guys want to hear us ramble on for another hour and a half, this was our best, uh, best
3: week. Yes. And luckily, I, I live at the studio. <laughs> yes, so. yes.
1: There's no escaping. And luckily, too, Notre Dame is one of the uh, the pickums for this week. So, that's right. Pardon um, me
0: for a second. You guys the, keep talking. No problem. Um, I'm going to run and grab something here. Oh, this boy. This is terrible TV, but I promise it'll be I mean,
1: worth it. I mean, we had trouble getting uh, Steve on the line, and, and we had, um, you know... Trouble with the the, um, the guest picker earlier. But anyway, Mara, I'm, I'm not sure if you've actually watched any of these episodes, but um, we're going to pick five games head-to-head, okay. and you're going to just pick your winner. Okay, and then Penn State will do it a little differently because okay. it is a Penn State-based show. I'm going to give you a little bit of insight on each team. Pick a winner. I don't need a reason. If you want to give a reason, that's great. Yeah. Um, we're going to start off with the Red River Rivalry. Um, it's Oklahoma. They're a top five, maybe six team right now. Um, playing, it's a neutral site game against Texas Longhorns, who are just outside the top 10. Um, one of the best rivalries in college football. Um, Oklahoma and Texas.
3: Um, I'm going to go with Oklahoma.
0: Oh, you, the Sooners. Mm-hmm. Boomer. Boomer.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like Oklahoma as well. I think that's a great pick. Texas is a little bit depleted in their secondary. And I think that's a big issue for that Longhorn team. This is an Oklahoma team that can throw it around the yard. Certainly Jalen Hurts brings the rushing attack. He has been fantastic, an early Heisman favorite. And I think I like Oklahoma to win this by at least a couple – well, not at least. We'll say a couple touchdowns.
1: What's up with those Oklahoma transfer quarterbacks? I mean, he could be the third and third years it comes in in – um. As a transfer and wins a Heisman. Baker, Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and now Jalen Hurts. I mean yeah. a lot of it, these guys are extremely talented, obviously, but the system in Lincoln Riley, it's just it's a match made in heaven for any quarterback that's looking to to take their talents to the next level and have a chance of winning a Heisman. Um, obviously at the beginning of the season I took Texas as one of my playoff picks. It's not looking so good after the loss to LSU. Uh, it's definitely not gonna look good after this week. I have Oklahoma winning as well. I think they do so fairly comfortably by ten to fourteen points. Um, Like you said, Texas is depleted in the secondary right now. There's just a lot of firepower with Oklahoma, and I'm not sure. Texas has a really good offense too, but um, expect it to be close for a while, and then I think Oklahoma will pull away in the fourth. Um, our next game, we're going to go down um, to the Bayou. Um, we're going to go Florida number nine right now, or eight. I'm sorry, my internet's down. But um, they travel after a big win against Auburn at home. Undefeated, they travel to take on undefeated. Number five, LSU, in a night game in Death Valley. One of the best, toughest environments to play in all of college football. Florida at LSU.
3: LSU. Bob and I saw LSU play at Vanderbilt, and they just ran all over Vanderbilt. Although they didn't play a lot of defense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're right about that. They did give up 38 points did, to Vanderbilt. Did they
1: really? 66 to 38. Wow. I didn't even realize you went to Vanderbilt. You never told me that. Yeah. It was Nashville, a couple huh? weeks ago. Cool. Nashville, Smashville. Cool, cool, cool.
0: Yeah. She loves Smashville. Wow. She didn't think that Smashville was a thing until we got down there and I was trying to tell her,
3: no, it's a thing. It's
0: what the hockey yes, team. the so, Predators. Yeah.
3: yeah. And then yep. it was on the, the side of the building. Yeah.
1: So. It looks like a really fun place.
0: It was fun. We enjoyed our time very much there, and got to do some sports as well on our anniversary trip. What else is new? Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) got to
3: sneak it in. Yeah. And
0: did what was your favorite
1: part like about Vanderbilt? Now that we can a little bit of the interview, tell us a little bit about the campus. Like, is it actually a city school? Like, is it in Nashville? Because. I know that, like, I saw the NFL draft, and there's, like, the main roadway, uh, what do they call it? The Broadway. Broadway. Um, how close is Vanderbilt to actually downtown Nashville?
3: I mean, it's all walkable, oh. but, yeah, it does kind of crop up just right off of what seems like a normal part of the city. Hmm. And then it's very kind of secluded. There's, like, a tree line that seems to encircle the campus and kind of make it its own little um, quiet area. But we yeah. walked through the campus a little bit. And it it was was great. I'm sure it's a
1: nice campus. Obviously not as nice as Notre Dame. but um, That's hard to compete. It is. Yeah. It is. But, uh, yeah, that's a pretty cool trip. I didn't realize you guys did that. It yeah, a lot it fun. was
0: great. And so what I was going off camera to get, speaking of great campuses, was this. And this is a painting that you were talking about of The Grotto that Mara actually did. And I'm going to see if I can make this work here. Oh, yeah, Yeah. look at that. There it is. Uh, So that is The Grotto. Mara is a very accomplished painter. I would say Um, so. And so actually directly behind our cameras here, to get a little look into the studio, there is a large easel. And so Mara has a painting that she's working on. Uh, It's a great passion of hers, and she is quite talented at it. So I just wanted to show everybody... That, because you mentioned it, it was off yeah, camera and wanted really to bring good. it on yeah. camera.
1: Yeah, that that is impressive. Um, but anyway, Bob, uh, Florida at LSU, who do you have this yeah,
0: week? Yeah, I like LSU here. Florida I didn't trust last week against Auburn. I give him credit for winning that game at home. Going on the road to Death Valley at a night game is much different with a seasoned quarterback in Joe Burrow who was just running through just about anybody that comes at him at LSU. Uh, I do think that they will get tripped up at some point, the Tigers, but it won't be this weekend. I like LSU to win that home game.
1: I'm gonna. I mean, we're gonna go for a clean sweep again. Um, Florida coming off of a very emotional, tough win at home. Good pick by Auburn. the way last week for you. Yeah, I did take the Gators last week. I did. I was the only one. Um, by the way, we all went three and three last week, including yeah. Bruce. So we all went three and three. Um. But I think that uh, LSU at home at night, uh, Florida, you know, coming coming off of a big win um, at home against Auburn, I think it kind of they're going to start to really show some cracks in their team. Um, maybe even the quarterback play very solid on defense, but I think LSU, uh, Joe Burrow, like you mentioned, the new offense that they're running down there, I think LSU is going to win uh, pretty comfortably against Florida. Um, now we're going to go to game three, a little bit of an interesting one here. Um, we know that tonight at 10 o'clock is the 24-7 edition of Penn State football behind the scenes, like a hard knocks version. Um, the the schools that are involved in this are Penn State, Florida, and then the next two teams are actually playing each other, Washington State and Arizona State, all featured on this uh, on this show, um, each with their own episode. But tonight is a Penn State episode. So I think it kind of ties in in a funny kind of way that two of the most interesting coaches, Mike Leach of Washington State, and Herm Edwards of Arizona State, not only on are on hard knocks, but also play each other this week in, in a big Pac-12 game. And we have um, Washington. And,
0: and are part of our pick em.
1: And part of our pick-em, yes. Um, Ari- Crazy. Washington State, uh, struggling lately a little bit, but has a very good offense, travels to Arizona State, who's exceeding expectations this year, and they are ranked. Um, should be a good game out in the desert.
3: I'll go with Arizona. State, yeah. State. <laughs> Sun Devils
0: Sun Devils I like that pick I'm gonna stick with you Arizona State Mike Leach had an odd postgame speech in his press conference last he week did calling his players soft and that they're reading their press clippings and that they like what they said and that they can't respond to adversity players can respond one of two ways to that and then Ch- Tracy Clays defensive coordinator. Resigned after two horrific defensive weeks. Players can respond one of two ways to that. So I get the sense that this game is going to be a two-touchdown game on either side. And I don't know what it's going to be. Is it going to be a resounding response for Washington State? Or is it going to be Arizona State cleaning their clock again and Washington State on the fast track to a 7-5, or a 6-6 six and six season. I'm picking Arizona State, but do not expect that game to be close. It's not going to be close
1: at all. Arizona State, judging off of um, the spread, is minus one, and they're the home team. For all those reasons you said not to pick Washington State and to pick Arizona State, I'm going to pick Washington yeah, State. Um, it could go Because either it's way. like you kind of expect the unexpected to begin with with Mike Leach. Um, maybe his team finally responds against out of its little rut that they're in the two-game losing streak um you know arizona state's ranked 18 um freshman quarterback actually playing pretty well this year but uh the quarterback for washington state is the the leader right now in yards um in college football which should come to no surprise whoever is really going to be the quarterback there as long Mm -hmm. as they have a pulse should lead um the college football with passing the amount they pass so i'm going to go washington state i'm going to change it up a little bit here but i i actually do think they're they're going to go on the road here in uh tempe and, and get the win um, and then our next game is actually um, an AAC game, uh, a local game. Memphis comes in at number 23. They travel to Temple to take on the
0: Owls on Saturday.
3: I have to go with Temple. Got to go with the, the local team.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to go with Temple too. Look at us. We collaborated on this before we came on here you guys definitely no, Bob
3: didn't give me any hints he didn't yes, help no. me at all with this i'm actually not
0: serious. there's no way he could have because you literally were last minute pick
1: so it's 100 <laughs> percent right? honest um, yes
0: it is i like temple though i'm picking the upset they're tough to play in lincoln financial field i can't tell you why because it's not as it's if a not lot the of people crowd go, <laughs> but they've been very good at home um happy to see the archbishop wood quarterback play well don't know how much I trust Memphis, and I, eh, eh, eh. I could go either way with this one. Give me Temple. Yeah, I, I'm
1: going to go with Temple here too. Um, Temple's looked very good this year outside of the game against Buffalo. Um, you know, com- the games at home. I think you know, <laughs> for whatever reason, they play very well at the link. I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe they sleep in great beds the night before, get a good meal, but. I'm going to go Temple. I think it's going to be very close, uh, but I am going to go with the, um, the Temple Owls in this game, uh, Saturday noon kickoff against Memphis, and our last head-to-head pick them. Uh, this game is going to mean a lot tomorrow. Um, USC travels to take on the fighting Irish of Notre Dame.
3: I would always pick Notre Dame in that matchup, but they're actually doing very well this year, so I, have, I feel pretty comfortable picking my alma mater in that one.
0: I like it. I like Notre Dame here as well. They are a team, and Tyler made fun of me when I said it on the first show because he mentioned that my wife went to Notre Dame, and here she (laughs) is. And I said, hey, listen, the winner of that Notre Dame-Georgia game goes to the college football playoff. And he kind of said, well, yeah, of course, but it's going to be Georgia. Well, it was (laughs) was Georgia, but not by much. And by the way, I also picked Georgia to go to my college football playoff. That said, Notre Dame is not out of it. Yet, if Georgia were to go unbeaten the rest of the way, that would mean they would take down LSU, which would mean LSU would not win the West. Alabama would win the West, and then Alabama, in theory, would have to lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game. That could open the door for a Notre Dame team that's playing a pretty good USC team. play Georgia really tough on the road, something that Alabama couldn't say in that in that situation. And then they'd have to beat Michigan to get there as well. So I think the door is still open, and I think they win this one against Southern Cal. I
1: I think they're going to win this one, too. I think, you know, USC has kind of – not even kind of. They have had three different quarterbacks this year. Um, Notre Dame has had one in Ian Book. He's played very well. Um, They almost beat George on the road. This Notre Dame team is very good. They're well coached, um, good defense um i think they're going to take care of business i don't think it's going to be that close actually mm-hmm. i think they'll win by at least two touchdowns at home
0: top loss number or top number sorry top one lost team yes. in the country yes i can get that out, yes there you go
1: and and they even if they end the, the season with one i mean they're going to be in that argument at the right. very end like we talked about however they don't have that conference championship to play for which could come back to haunt them we will see yeah um so we're going clean sweep on their Dame, and then the last game is uh penn state at iowa Um, We're going to go with the line at three and a half. So do you think Penn state will win by more than three, I guess what, four more than three and a half, more than three and a half. So four or more. And either way, we would like a score on this game. If you could, please.
3: Well, I would like to dedicate this pick (laughs) to Ray Sanders, my good friend who went to Iowa and who likes to talk trash on all of my teams. (laughs) Um, Definitely going to pick Penn state over Iowa. And let's make it 35 to 14. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Big cover. Yeah. <laughs> big cover. Big cover. I like it. I Take like that. That's for you, Ray.
3: <laughs> That's
0: fantastic. We should have had this guy call in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could be that bold. I am going to pick Penn State to cover. I think they win by a touchdown, anywhere from a touchdown to 10 points. And it's always a funky score with Iowa. So it is. give me. Twenty three to eighteen. Just be. No, I'm sorry. Twenty three to five. Twenty three to seven. <laughs> Penn State's going to win and cover. <laughs> it's going to be great. Now, uh, twenty three to fifteen. How about that? That's a that's
1: a good weird. score. I mean, I think <laughs> I think the weird score is actually something that's probably going to happen, especially with like the windy conditions out there. Safeties are pretty common in this game. Uh, you know, you never know—missed extra point, blocked extra point, that type of thing. Somebody maybe go for two because of the wind and the kicking situation. I don't know. Um, three and a half. I. It started at four and a half, and it's actually down to three right now. I saw, but I'm going to keep it at three and a half for for the show's sake. Um, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I'm kind of going off what you're saying, Bob. I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go twenty to fourteen, Penn State. So we're all taking them to cover. Um, I think that it's going to be a close game like the other recent Iowa games have been. Um, I just think that, I, as we talked about earlier, I think Penn State's defensive line and their skilled position players are going to be the difference in this game. And, and ultimately, it doesn't matter if they cover or not, just as long as they win and they come home 6-0 and for a whiteout battle next week against Michigan under the lights, 730 ABC.
0: There you have it. Thank you very much, Mar, for coming on. Hope you had a good time
3: i did i did i'll be back to share more bob fun facts (laughs) oh okay yeah we
1: might always need a security um you know replacement last second so hopefully you'll be here lounging around and if uh, you can fill in it was great to have you (laughs) was
0: hoping not to burn your red shirt this early (laughs) yeah right (laughs) (laughs) but we did and that's okay you're getting out there and you're playing and you're doing great so we appreciate the time thank you mara thank you tyler as always great show and for all of us here at Bob Long Sports, I am Bob Long saying so long and see you later. Enjoy the football, and if you're listening to us live here, enjoy the HBO 24-7. Reminder, you can find us on SoundCloud for the audio subscribers in you. You can listen to it on the way to work. Of course, YouTube and BobLongSports.com. Follow us on Twitter at BobLongSports and on Facebook at BobLongSports as well. Just get, so get us an Instagram, and then we'll be fully covered. See everybody, next week. Thanks so much.